This program is brought to you from the Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. The summer congressional recess is over and Wisconsin representatives are back in D.C. trying to reach agreement on federal spending levels to avoid a government shutdown before the end of the month. Wisconsin's Congressman Brian Stile joins us from near his office to talk about his priorities and his hopes for Congress in the next few weeks and months. Thank you for joining us during this busy time for you. Lisa, thanks for having me on. So we know summers in Wisconsin, typically not very long, but I'm just wondering if it seemed just a little bit shorter knowing you'd be returning to D.C. to all of these federal spending negotiations. There, there is nothing better than summer in Wisconsin. It's always nice to be home for a, a bit of a stretch of time and a chance to get out and talk to people. I held, hosted town halls and all across southeast Wisconsin, lots of meetings. Uh, but now we're back to work, and the biggest uh, item in front of us, is, as you noted, is addressing our spending plan for the next year. Uh, we're coming down on a tight deadline. I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to get there. Uh, nothing is done until it's done, but the hard work is in front of us to make sure uh, that we reach a deal uh, and get the spending plans in place in a period of time of divided government. So that you, you mentioned that deadline, September 30th deadline to kind of put together some sort of a stopgap measure to continue um, some partial federal funding. Are you concerned about a shutdown or you, you, you don't think it will happen? No, I, I am. I'm concerned. I mean, any time that we face this clock and Congress has done this time and again, the system in Washington is completely broken on the appropriations process. That's that's a separate conversation, an important conversation to have about how we fix that. Under the circumstances we're in today, how do we get these 12 major appropriations bills done? And do we have the opportunity to give us a little bit of breathing room because we're so far behind the eight ball? We need to do all the above. We need to fix the process. That's the big picture fix that we need as a nation. We need to get each of these 12 spending bills done and across the line and signed by the president and into law. And then we need to give ourselves a little bit of breathing room because it's so unlikely uh, that we're going to be able to get all of this work done before the deadline where funding runs out at the end of this month. So breathing room means some sort of a continuing resolution. It sounds like you support that. How long, what's the time frame for a continuing resolution, do you think? There's a lot of conversation here about maybe 30, 45 days. Uh, I think 30 days is probably pretty reasonable. Give us a little bit of breathing room, but keep the pressure on to get these bills done. It's essential that we get these bills done. It's important that we don't allow federal funding to expire where we would have a government shutdown. The problem here is big picture, if we really step out and look at this though, is this circus has gone on and on for years and years in Washington. Everyone knows the process is broken and there's not enough energy to going in and fixing the underlying process. I come from a manufacturing background, having worked for two large manufacturing companies uh, in Wisconsin before I ran for office. And if you had a factory producing a terrible product, the first thing you do is you'd shut the line down, you'd have a conversation and you would fix the actual process. In Washington, we, your federal government produces a bad budget. What happens? They go back and do the same thing again next year. I got some reforms I'd like to see us put in place to avoid getting here ever again. You know, you, you mentioned the difficulty in this process. There's a lot of reporting, certainly on uh, the House Speaker McCarthy's negotiation with some of the 
further right members of your caucus, the House Freedom Caucus. Can you say anything about kind of the back and forth in those negotiations within the party? Well, we're, we're having broad conversations across the ideological spectrum. In a period of time, a divided government, at the end of the day, this bill is going to require Republicans in the House and the Democratic President of the United States coming together. That's never an easy task. And so we're having lots of conversations uh, with folks from all different political backgrounds. But here's what's essential. Some of this really isn't Democrat and Republican in nature. Some of this is making sure that we get it right. Think about defense appropriations, making sure that we're preparing ourselves, making sure that the men and women who wear the United States military uniform have the pay that they deserve and the resources they need to be able to protect the United States of America. Getting these policies right is more important than scoring political points for Democrats or Republicans. Um, you, Speaker McCarthy has been trying to manage kind of all the interests of in, within the caucus, certainly with that slim majority in the party. What, what do you have to say about the speaker's um, kind of job performance so far? How is he doing? Now, Speaker McCarthy is often underestimated and over delivers time and again. That was seen during the debt ceiling negotiations where uh, a lot of uh, political commentators thought Republicans wouldn't come to the table to be able to get it done. And what did we show? Not only were we successful in getting it done, we actually saved taxpayers billions of dollars by clawing back unspent COVID funds. We put forward work requirements to say able-bodied, childless adults should be required to work at least a minimum of 20 hours in order to obtain federal benefits. And we did that while making sure that we made whole on our debt. A lot of people underestimated Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives. We delivered. The work is in front of us again on the next big issue, that's spending. Uh, but I'm confident that at the end of the day, although there's going to be a lot of political commentators saying we won't do it, I think at the end of the day, we'll get it done and it'll be to the benefit of the American people. Speaker has a tough job. Oh, the, the speakership in the House of Representatives is probably the toughest political job in all of politics. And so uh, this is not an easy task uh, for Speaker McCarthy, but I think what we've shown uh, is his ability to get the job done, even though it is difficult. The speaker recently uh, authorized an impeachment inquiry uh, into President Biden related to the business dealings of his son, Hunter Biden. Do you support that impeachment inquiry? I think it's the right move to make sure that we're getting the answers to the American people. There are a lot of questions about the business dealings of the Biden family. And the question then becomes, did President Biden in any way alter any federal decisions that he made as a result of those dealings. There's a lot of questions. I think it's appropriate that we get the information for the American people. Have you seen any wrongdoing or crimes by President Biden thus far? What are you looking for? Well, definitely from the, the Biden's family. I mean, obviously the president's son was just indicted uh, this week. And so I think that's pretty straightforward that there's uh, evidence of crimes committed by the family. The question becomes, were crimes committed by the president of the United States? The inquiry is to get information as to exactly what took place in a lot of these financial transactions. There's a lot of suspect information that's already been released. The inquiry is to get the facts out for the American people so we fully understand what took place. We're gearing up for another presidential election year, and you've been working on election integrity legislation. You just recently had a hearing um, that's on the American Confidence in Elections Act, the ACE Act. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in that legislation? The American Confidence in Elections Act works at the federal level, maintaining federalist principles to give states the tools that they need 
to, to enhance election integrity. That's, peer, that's tier number one. Let me give you an example of what that means. Say someone from Wisconsin spends a week or two down in Florida in the winter uh, and unfortunately passes away. State of Florida does not have a federal obligation to inform Wisconsin such that they could be removed from the voter rolls. The state of Florida does have a federal obligation to inform the Social Security Administration that a U.S. citizen has passed away. So in other words, the Social Security Administration has the ultimate database as to whether or not an American is alive or dead. At a period of time when someone dies, we should allow states like Wisconsin to fully tap into the Social Security death database so that individual could be removed from the voter rolls. I think it's a pretty common sense reform that we need to put in place so we have clean voter rolls and make sure that we're enhancing integrity in our elections. If we enhance integrity in our elections, I think what we'll actually see is more people participate, and that's a good thing. I think we can make it easy to vote, hard to cheat, and we can encourage more participation in the process. I know this legislation is modeled after legislation in Georgia that's been in place and that they had a higher voter turnout in the 2022 primaries, but they also saw some differences in between white and black voters, that that discrepancy was higher. Do you have concerns about that as well? We want to make sure that it's easy to vote for everyone. I think it's really important that we're looking at the impacts that this has on different demographic groups. I would look in particular at the University of Georgia study that explored the exact issue that you're talking about. And the feedback from that was that people across the board were very happy with the voting experience in Georgia. So much so that statistically, that study showed that 0% of blacks in the state of Georgia had a poor or negative voting experience. That's a positive thing. We want to encourage participation, and we can do that by putting in place common sense voter integrity reforms. Uh, shifting a little bit to the economy, you've been a harsh critic of Bidenomics. We had some recent uh, reporting. Uh, inflation ticked up this month. Consumer prices are still high. But looking at other markers, the economy appears healthy. Unemployment at record lows. There's some record job growth, uh, rising wages. Is this all bad news for the economy from your perspective? Well, you can talk to almost anybody in the state of Wisconsin, and they feel like they're getting punched in the face by Bidenomics. Wages have not kept up with inflation. It's been trending a little bit better recently, but you're still, for the average American family, further behind than when you when President Biden took office. The average American family is spending 17% more for the same stuff. That's over $700 a month more for the same items today than two and a half years ago. Wages not keeping up with inflation and the policies of the Biden administration are directly responsible for the pain that American families are feeling. From the Biden administration's war on energy, starting with day one when the president killed the Keystone XL pipeline, to the continuation of paying people not to work after the end of the pandemic, to the heavy-handed regulations being pushed down through the Biden administration, are clobbering American families who are struggling to get by. It's the reason people aren't happy with the economy. It moves in some ways. You can find some statistics that are shown it's gotten a little bit better. But by no means are we back to where we need to be for American families to afford the things that they deserve and need. Do you expect the economy to be the lead issue in the 2024 election? Ultimately, the voters will decide what the number one issue is. But boy, when I talk to people traveling around the state of Wisconsin, if I'm in Kenosha, Racine, Janesville, Beloit, the number one thing people come and talk to me about is the fact that they can't afford the things their families need. That's true in the grocery store when people are frustrated with grocery prices. That's true when I'm filling up my Chevy with gasoline in Janesville and the person at the pump behind me complains about the energy prices. 
And all of these costs are directly tied to Biden administration policies. Is the energy policies of this administration refusing to unleash American energy that are clobbering American families when they fill up their car with gas, when they heat their home in the winter, when they cooled their home in the summer? It's the administration's policies that have hurt grocery costs. In particular, energy is a big piece of your grocery bill. And so we see time and again how the Biden administration's policies have made it harder and harder for American families to get by. I think it's one of the things that we're going to have to do when we go out in campaign in 2024 is share with the American people how the policies of the Biden administration, while good in lip service, are really clobbering them at the end of the day. You know, that 2024 presidential race is kind of shaping up to be a rerun of 2020 with Trump versus Biden. Uh, Both of those candidates have known liabilities. Do you think that former President Trump can beat President Biden in that race, if that's what it turns out to be? I think any Republican could beat President Biden. I think the policies of this Biden administration have been horrific. They've clobbered American families. Families are falling further behind. And the American people are going to be looking for a change. It's a long way now. Uh, until next summer when we'll decide who the nominee is uh, in the city of Milwaukee. But I think whoever comes out of the convention in Milwaukee as the Republican candidate uh, is the odds-on favorite to beat President Biden. You don't have any concerns if former President Trump is the nominee for your party? I have incredible concerns if President Biden had four more years. We look at what has occurred in the economy in just two and a half years. I can barely fathom what would happen with eight years of President Biden's policies in effect. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney announced his retirement this past week. He's uh, calling for a new generation of leaders. He was a critic of both President Trump and President Biden. Do you have any reaction to what he had to say about that new generation of leaders? I'm all about making sure we get some new blood in Washington. I think we have too many people uh, that are octogenarians and above. At the end of the day, it's the voters that decide who they send as their representative to Washington. Uh, But I think we are well served to bring in some new blood in Washington Uh, The the old guard here in D.C., people that have been here far too long, have made a mess. They haven't fixed it up. I don't think it's a bad thing to bring some new blood into Washington. Last April, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee uh, declared that the first congressional district is competitive for Democrats. Uh, You already have two Democratic challengers going into the 2024 race. You won your 2022 campaign by 10 percentage points, but it is the slimmest margin for Republicans in Wisconsin in that district, just six point um, favoring Republicans. Do you think that a 2024 race will be more difficult to win for a Republican? Any election in the state of Wisconsin is always competitive. We'll get to the point where we're out there campaigning. Today, I'm focused on the work of the American people, in particular, these spending bills that are before us. But as we look out to next year, I look forward to going out and having the conversation with people in southeast Wisconsin about the policies that are needed to move our country forward. It's what I've done time and again. Uh, The first race I ran, I was outspent four to one. My opponent was the second most funded Democrat in the United States of America. Uh, I'm not nervous about a tough campaign. I think it's all the better. Let's go have the conversation with the American people. And uh, I've been honored uh, to have earned their vote and earned their support uh, time and again. I look forward to the election uh, ahead of me. Democratic groups already launching attacks at you from various angles. Uh, A billboard in your hometown of Janesville targeting what they say is your position on voting against uh, capping insulin costs at $35 a month. How How do you respond to that particular attack? Yeah, I voted against the Inflation Reduction Act to save American workers and American families from the inflation that's punching them in the face. When you vote against billions of dollars of federal government spending 
Of course, dark money groups are going to come out and complain. They want that federal government money. They don't care that it drives inflation and clobbers American families. I'm out there protecting American families from the inflationary policies put forward by Democratic one-party control. They then go in and cherry pick a few items inside the bill. People would be happy to note that I am not only a co-sponsor, I've been very supportive of making sure that we bring down drug prices. One of the items that are clobbering American families to be able to afford the things that they need. I look forward to the ultimate conversation, but I'm not in any way, shape or form surprised that when you vote against billions and billions of big government spending that's going to corporations, including corporations in China, the dark money groups are going to come out and make complaints. Last month, the Biden administration announced the first 10 drugs subject to negotiations for prescription costs in Medicare. Is, is that the right way forward in bringing down prescription drug costs? Your federal government's not terribly good at negotiating on your behalf or bringing down costs. Big government answers are usually not the solution. What we need to do is drive competition into the marketplace. And at the end of the day, the policies of the Biden administration are actually going to stifle competition. Stifling competition in the long term is actually going to lead to higher costs. And so what we need to do is work to drive competition into this space, making sure that we're getting generics into the marketplace sooner, making sure that we're encouraging new research and development into future cures. And the president's policies are going to reduce future investment to find the next cure and is going to stifle competition, which at the end of the day is not going to result in lower costs. You've also been facing some criticism and some ads for your position on Social Security. Uh, you were part of a, a Republican committee that um, made some uh, re recommendations for changes to Social Security, including raising the age to achieve maximum benefits. You want to clarify your position on reforms to Social Security? I appreciate the opportunity. I think we should protect Social Security and Medicare for our seniors. No doubt that people are going to try to scare seniors by making false accusations about my position. My position has been very clear. I'm working to actually protect Social Security and Medicare. What's the number one threat to our seniors right now? They're getting clobbered probably more than anyone else by the inflationary pressures being put forward by the Biden administration. Two, the reckless spending that the Biden administration has driven forward is probably the second biggest threat to Social Security and Medicare. I'm the champion of making sure we protect these programs, that we protect our seniors, and it's the policies of the Biden administration that are really hurting those individuals, in particular, seniors on fixed incomes. Do you support raising the age in Social Security? I think we should make sure we're protecting our seniors, in particular those in retirement now and those approaching retirement age. I don't think we need to alter the retirement age, in particular for those seniors in retirement now and those approaching retirement age. You recently hosted a roundtable in Milwaukee County on combating the fentanyl crisis. You've talked about the Biden administration's failure to combat fentanyl production in China. Also, you've shared your concerns about um, border policies. Is the Biden administration responsible for the fentanyl crisis that we have currently? The Biden administration's foreign policy and immigration policies have been horrific and have directly impacted uh, families in the state of Wisconsin. Just in Rock County, over 40 people died of a fentanyl-related overdose death last year. Kenosha County, 48, and Racine, over 60. Milwaukee County, over 500 people died of a fentanyl-related overdose death. Fentanyl is being designed in China, manufactured in Mexico, and trafficked from Mexico into the United States of America through both legal ports of entry as well as illegal entry 
into a very porous U.S.-Mexico border. The Biden administration, President Biden himself, made a pretty much a, a nationwide and international call that said the U.S.-Mexico border is open. It's available to be crossed and you can come in. That's had a direct result, not only as it relates to fentanyl, killing hundreds of people in Wisconsin. It's the leading cause of death for those individuals aged 18 to 45. But it's also resulted in horrific human trafficking cases. I've been to the U.S.-Mexico border. I've talked to our Border Patrol agents. They're underfunded. They're understaffed. And they're not supported by this president. We need to dramatically change our position on the U.S.-Mexico border. We need to secure the U.S.-Mexico border. We need to fund Border Patrol. We need to invest in technology. And at the end of the day, we need to stop this deadly fentanyl from coming into the United States of America. Democrats do say that a majority of that fentanyl is coming over with Americans at legal border crossings. Yeah, as I noted, uh, it's coming through both legal ports of entry as well as illegal crossings. We need to make investments in border protection uh, that protects both of those. I met with the port director of the International Port of Chicago, uh, as well as individuals that work at the International Port of Milwaukee. One of the major points where this drug is coming in uh, to our region. We need to make sure that we're supporting those individuals. These are the same men and women who work for the United States Customs and Border Protection that serve us on the U.S.-Mexico border. That entire division is underfunded, not supported by the president properly, and a lack of funding has resulted in too little technology being put into the fight. We need to secure the U.S.-Mexico border. That is not only at the border between, say, Texas and Mexico, but that border in many ways is in Chicago, in Milwaukee where goods are coming directly into the port of Chicago or the port of Milwaukee and may contain fentanyl. The protection of the U.S.-Mexico border is broader than just those states that physically border Mexico. Every state is a border state. And all you have to do is talk to a mom or a dad, one of the hundreds and hundreds who lost a loved one from fentanyl coming in. They know all too well that the president's border policies are killing individuals right in our state of Wisconsin and the policies need to change dramatically because if not, unfortunately, hundreds and hundreds of moms and dads will wake up without their son or daughter at home directly because of the failed border policies of this administration. Uh, uh, New York Mayor Eric Adams has also been criticizing border policies. He's asking for more federal resources to house migrants in the city. He's also asking for changes to work authorizations for asylum seekers. The Department of Homeland Security says that needs an act of Congress to change work authorization policy. Is that something you support? Changing work authorization without addressing the border crisis simply doesn't solve the underlying problem. But boy, let me tell you, when you have the mayor of New York City crying uncle and saying, we need to stop the border policies of the Biden administration, and he's no conservative, you know that this Biden administration is completely disconnected with the American people and those suffering from the policies of this administration. We need to make sure we secure the U.S.-Mexico border. There's other things we need to do to fix our legal immigration system. I'm on board with fixing those. But step one is to secure the U.S.-Mexico border because it is impacting families across Wisconsin, impacting families in places like New York City. And I think more and more Americans are waking up and realizing that this administration's policies as it relates to the U.S.-Mexico border are absolutely backwards.
In July, you authored an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, trying to promote more transparency in funding, uh, federal funding to Ukraine. Is the U.S. spending too much money in Ukraine? Number one here is Putin is evil, unjustly invaded the country of Ukraine, and his troops should leave the country of Ukraine immediately. We need to stand and support the, the men and women fighting in Ukraine. I think it's appropriate uh, to make sure that we are providing certain types of weapons to the Ukrainian army. But we need significantly more transparency as to how this is occurring, where these weapons are being transferred to. And I think the American people deserve that. Also, the president has done an absolutely horrific job in actually defining and sharing with the American people the U.S. national security interests of our support of the military of Ukraine. The foreign policy of this president has been incredibly weak, including from the botched evacuation of Afghanistan to his lack of leadership in defining what is success for the American people. And so what I've called for is far more transparency as to how these weapons are being transferred and utilized, as well as calling for the president to put forward a plan in defining success for the United States of America as it relates to the war in Ukraine. Speaker McCarthy pulled the defense appropriations bill from a scheduled vote this week. What is there a disagreement there? What's at, at the heart of kind of the disagreement? I think at the end of the day, we're going to see us come together, be able to get the defense appropriations bill across the line. Like I said, there's 12 total bills. One has been passed. We have 11 to go. The clock is ticking. The Senate's in a similar position, uh, being way behind the eight ball, led by Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer. This is where the process is broken across the board. Democrats in the Senate, Republicans in the House, pox on everyone's house. I think we should fix the system about how we do spending in Washington. We'd all walk away a lot better. This is just unfortunately, very unfortunately, how the sausage is made. If it was up to me and I'm working with others, let's fix the whole system so that we end up with a better product on behalf of the American people. Should funding for Ukraine be separated from disaster relief funding, as some have suggested? I would love to see us have more votes on more specific spending items. I think it would actually allow us to dramatically weed out uh, bad policies. So I'm always supportive of having standalone votes on almost every piece of spending that we possibly can. Um, I don't know at the end of the day if that's what will be brought before us, uh, but I'd love the opportunity to have standalone votes on a whole host of spending items. There's some developing news as we produce this show. The United Auto Workers Union is now on strike against the three major automakers. Your district has a long history with the auto industry. Do you have a reaction to that announcement of a strike? Yeah, I, I think back a lot to the General Motors plant that has ultimately left Janesville. When I was a kid growing up, almost all my friends, their moms or dads, uh, worked at the General Motors plant or in an adjacent company related to it. Um, wages haven't kept up with inflation and workers uh, feel that punch. They feel like they're falling further and further behind because they are. Uh, and so it's pretty reasonable uh, that these men and women who are working uh, for uh, UAW-backed uh, uh, car manufacturing facilities are looking for higher wages. Uh, I'm hopeful a resolution is reached. We're able to get everyone back to work. A strike is not good for anyone. Uh, people buying cars, let alone uh, the families of those who have a loved one, uh, working at those factories who are on strike, the best thing we could do uh, is see a resolution come forward. We've covered a lot of ground in this interview. We've talked about your priorities and work on election integrity, the fentanyl crisis, border security. Are, do you have other priorities in the coming weeks and months for your work in Congress? 
the biggest thing we have in front of us is the spending bill. And then, as I've said, I'd love to see us fix the entire spending process in Washington. It's something I've talked about now for five years. I think Washington, D.C. could learn a lot from the state of Wisconsin's budget process. Just give you two things off the cuff. I'd love to see us put in place a permanent continuing resolution, meaning we'd never have a shutdown. That's what the state of Wisconsin does. That The budget's a week or two late in the state of Wisconsin. Things go on as usual. If we did that in D.C., we could avoid the whole circus that we have right now. My biggest fear is at the end of the day, people want to spend on priority A, other people want to spend on priority B, and the resolution is A and B at the same time. That's too much spending. I'd love to see us fix this process. We could also do a two-year budget, same as Wisconsin. The state of Wisconsin does a two-year budget. Federal government does it every year. We're always late. I'd love to see us do a two-year approach, maybe slowing things down, a harder look at the spending. We could learn a little bit from the state of Wisconsin out here in D.C. Uh, we recently met with your counterpart here in Wisconsin from the second congressional district, Mark Pocan, and we ended our interview on a lighter note. We've talked a lot of about a lot of heavy issues here today. I'm hoping you're up for a little word association here. So I'm going to ask you the first word or phrase that comes to mind when I say uh, the following word or phrase. Joe Biden. Mr. President of the United States. Donald Trump. Former President of the United States. <laughs> Playing it safe. First congressional district. Best place in the entire world. Fall in Wisconsin. Football season. Go Packers. Go Badgers. Well, you already kind of answered this one, but last one is Green Bay Packers. Man, I think we got a chance for a real good season with Jordan Love. And so I'm bullish on the Packers. I think we got a great opportunity to have a good, solid playoffs team. Uh, maybe a year or two down the road, I think we got a Super Bowl team in front of us. Oh, wow. All, all in on the love era here. You heard it here first. Well, thank you, Congressman Style, for joining us on Newsmaker. We hope to have you back. Thank you. All right. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel-to-gavel -gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol. 